listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. If you are not getting communication from our church, it's because we do not have you uh, in our database correctly. And our team is endeavoring to come up with an efficient uh, way to communicate with you. And so I ask you to fill out the cards. If you filled out one recently, we have your updated information. If you have not, please consider doing that so we can have communication with you. Uh, We will not nag you. We have a no harassment policy, um, but we would like to be able to efficiently communicate with you in the manner of your choosing. And we, of course, don't give that information out, so we aren't in the business of uh, nagging you. I mean, I might nag you a little bit, but that's going to be a more direct path, kind of like, why are you missing so much church, y'all? Anyway, moving along. I love to preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is truly the good news of Jesus, not the good doctrine, not the good philosophy. It's simpler than that. You have to think simple for uh, anyone to be able to understand. It's simply good news, and that is this. Jesus Christ has provided for your salvation. Your sins can be washed away. You can live in newness of life. There is deliverance from oppression of of the spirit there is deliverance from addictions of the flesh in Jesus Christ it's a new day Did I come to the right church? Am I in the right church here today? In Jesus Christ he makes all things new I love to preach the simple gospel, and I uh, have, it's tempting as a pastor when uh, most of us, by far, uh, in a time like this, the people who make the effort to come out of their safe homes and join together with us are, uh, by and large, kind of the higher commitment believers, um, or I should say some of us uh, just are sick of being in the house, and I should also say uh, some of us, um, well, uh, we just wanted to come to church. Many of you watching, I don't want to disparage you. I love you. I miss you. Um, uh, You may very well be high commitment to the Lord. I'll let the Lord be the judge of that. Um, I wouldn't know your heart anyway, uh, but we want, I want you to know that it's easy for me to preach to saved people uh, when we have these kind of smaller meetings. And I, I don't mind that. I enjoy that. There's so many great themes in the Bible from discipleship to stewardship to uh, spiritual insight issues like like prophecy and even gifts of the Spirit and the like. I love all of it. You guys, you guys know I love to preach. I love to teach. But uh, I want to always come back to the simple gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The simple fact that he is looking to restore you to the person you can be in him. And so I'm preaching today along that theme and my title is, Could You Help Me Get home. Could you help me get home? I, if, I, I need to apologize at the outset here. I don't have notes for you on the website this week. Um, they were too unorganized um, at, when it was time to, to give them to the team. And uh, so I don't have them uh, for you this week. Most Sundays I do, but you'll just have to be mad at me later. Uh, there's a story I love that's told in the uh, book written by Lois Cheney. The book's entitled, God is No Fool. She tells the story of two women sitting on the porch gossiping. Now, women gossip, but no more than men do. Men gossip too. They just gossip differently. They just gossip in different ways. Can all the ladies say amen? But us men know that women enjoy it a tiny bit more. Can all the men say amen? See, now that we have you all in agreement, let's continue here with the service. Um, A woman and her uh, grandmother are sitting on the porch uh, in the book, and they're discussing a member of the family who they very much disapprove of. They do not like this individual at all. And the young woman says, he is just no good. He's completely untrustworthy, not to mention lazy. No one can talk you down like your family. They know all your junk. (laughs) They know all your bad habits. They know you've been trying to slip since you were in the fourth grade. Anyway, um, he's just no good, untrustworthy, not to mention lazy. Her grandmother says, yes, honey, he is bad. And after a long moment, she says, but, but, but Jesus loves him. The younger woman says, well, I'm not so sure of that. 
The grandmother says, yes, yes, Jesus loves him. And she sat there silently rocking in her chair. And then she said, of course, Jesus doesn't know him like we do. (laughs) I love that story. So whenever you're talking bad about somebody and they say, well, Jesus loves him, you say, yeah, but Jesus doesn't know him like I do. (laughs) Jesus knows you better than anybody else in your life and Jesus loves you. Uh, The difficulty of love is not on God's end, it's on our end. Uh, and so uh, we, I give you that story just as uh, a reminder of the heart of God. I, I want to tell you about a program called the National Runaway Safe Line. Now, I didn't know this program existed, but there is a National Runaway Safe Line uh, that was funded in the early 70s, and it uh, provides a way for any runaway in America who wants to go home to find their way back home. And so, uh, if you call, it's an easy number to remember. It's uh, 1-800-RUNAWAY. Now, I want all you husbands to know it won't work for you if you're fighting with your wife. Um, I want you to know you're going to have to go face the music like the rest of us cowards do. And, uh, but if you are a juvenile and you need help getting home, you can call 1-800-RUNAWAY. And they, there, there are counselors on call 24-7 uh, ready to help you. And they are well aware uh, that it may be difficult for a runaway to reintegrate with their family. So uh, they will be, the counselor will contact your family and they will talk to them and provide a, uh, a way to reintegrate. And not only that, but they've partnered since the 70s, they've partnered with uh, Trailways bus lines where any runaway in America who wants to go home, if they call 1-800-RUNAWAY and they talk to the counselor and the counselor contacts their family and determines they're going back to a safe situation, uh, National Trailways bus lines will give any juvenile in America a free ticket home anywhere in the United States. So I want to, now that I've told you about that program, isn't that a great program? Uh, We waste enough tax dollars on stuff that when you hear about something like that, you want to kind of feel a little bit good about it. So I want to tell you one of the success stories from uh, this, this um, program. Uh, a young lady named Brooke. I actually have a picture of Brooke we're going to put on the screens right now. This is Brooke. Uh, she ran away at 14 years old and found herself on the street uh, where she soon was preyed on and was turned out by a pimp and she was uh, forced into a life of being a teenage prostitute, uh, really at, the, at this, this young of an age. Uh, she got pregnant and uh, she had lost the baby because by now uh, she was addicted to drugs. Um, in that kind of an environment, it's almost just uh, almost a natural thing for people to end up in that kind of addiction. Uh, she's now a drug addict. She is a teenage prostitute and she uh, has a son and the state, because of her condition, the state rightfully um, takes her son away from her. Um, she hears about the program 1-800-RUNAWAY. She's still on the street. Uh, She's still being preyed upon by uh, the sex industry who is uh, working her as a prostitute. And she, hearing about 1-800-RUNAWAY, she picks up the phone one day and she dials 1-800-RUNAWAY and she is um, connected uh, there in that moment to a social worker by the name of Steve. And her words, I'm going to tell you her exact quote to Steve. She said, I heard about your home free program and wanted to know if you could help me get home. I heard about your home free program and I wanted to know if you could help me get home. Uh, They could help her get home. They contacted her family. They found a way to get her safely off the street. They put her on, gave her her free ticket. She got on the bus and when she got off the bus in her hometown, uh, her uh, family was there waiting for her and she is a success story of the program. I love the story. I love the program. Let me tell you one of the reasons why I love the program. Because the church is the original 1-800 runaway program. The church is the original can you help me find my way home program. Here, this started through the uh, efforts of the various uh, 
programs that are within housing and urban development, I believe, is the program that funded this. Um, that's how this got started. But the church has a much older 800 runaway program. And it's not just based on civil need. It's based on spiritual reality. Because the truth is, we are all of us spiritual orphans. We are all of us castaways from the presence of God. Did you hear what I just said? We must remember this. I preach it. I preach. I know most of you, the vast majority of you are not just saved. You're fairly high commitment Christians, but I, I want to preach to you today as though you were a runaway and you are a runaway. Why? Because as a church, we cannot forget where God has brought us from. If we forget that, it will change the feel of our worship services. Are you hearing what I'm saying here today? If we forget where God brought us from, it will change the manner in which we greet people coming in the front doors of the church. It'll change the manner in which we check on one another. It'll change the patience with which we include and forgive and speak the blessings of God one to another. I want First Church never to forget that we were all lost in trespasses and sins. Not just the people who came to God as adults. I don't care if you grew up in the church and you're so righteous your feet don't touch the ground when you walk. You, except for the grace of God, are a sinner without hope, without joy. I want this church to feel like a 1-800 runaway program. I want to feel like a place that says we can help you come home. We can help you return Turn home. Now, Brooke, the young lady whose picture I showed you, she's back on her feet. She has her child back again, and she is rebuilding her life. The original runaway story uh, is older than Brooke, and uh, the stories of runaways is a part of the human story. Uh, You can go back as far as you want. I don't want to just go back to New Testament stories, although we have New Testament passages that are a perfect fit for this theme, I'm sure sharing with you today. I want to go back further. I want to go back to foundational stories. I want to go back to patriarchal stories where you see a runaway who is unique in the story in that God is with him and he's still running away. I want to tell you the story of a young man who came from a deeply dysfunctional family. Even so, it was religious. It's odd for us to think that way. Most of us think that the moment a family gets religious, it gets itself organized and sorted out and everybody starts being like Jesus and talking like Jesus and there's no more conflict, there's no more abuse, but I would be doing you a disservice and ill preparing you for reality if I were to give you that illusion. The truth is God picks us up at a place and then he takes us on a journey. It's not overnight and many of us have work to do. We have things to overcome. We have wounds that need to heal. We have forgiveness we need to share and all as long as we hold on to the past and we are not freed from our past then the dysfunction of it still has its way of working into the crevices of our life let me preach to some real people here today and here this family's very religious but deeply dysfunctional Jacob wants what has been given to his brother he wants wants what the family has decided is the possession of his brother. Jacob wants what Esau has been promised. Uh, Their idea is that this blessing that is divine in nature should come by birth order. Now this is not a biblical idea. You won't find an idea in the scripture anywhere where Unique spiritual gifting is based on birth order. It's not in the Bible. However, it is deep within human tradition. And the tribes around these people would have naturally thought of this type of blessing to be placed upon the firstborn. Where did this family get it? Well, it's nowhere in the scripture. It's nowhere in the words of God. They got it from the peoples around them. Jacob wanted what had been promised to Esau. And if we're going to be fair, Esau really wanted what was to be given to Jacob. 
And so Jacob decides by guile, by, by lies, uh, let's not make it pretty, uh, he decides to trick his brother in giving him something that wasn't his brother's to give. This is the dysfunction, the essential misunderstanding that we can manipulate God to what he would give, not us be recipients of what he has decided to give. We still can't manipulate God. We couldn't do it then and we cannot do it now. You cannot have forced upon you some spiritual possession that you do not crave and hunger and long for. And so although Jacob is deceitful and he works within the very dysfunction of his family, he gets his mother to ally with him with the goal of tricking, lying, deceiving his father, who having been thusly fooled, gives a verbal blessing upon Jacob with the willing consent of the wife agreeing that this is the way to do it, uh, you see this dysfunction and now his brother wants to solve the problem by killing Jacob. They should make a reality TV show about this family. And so here's Jacob running what? For his life. He runs from Beersheba, Beersheba and he comes to a certain place and exhausted in his running, he, he decides to rest and he lays himself down on the hard ground and uh, he arranges a rock uh, to kind of brace his head in a certain way, not because it's soft, but because it helps with the, the rest of his sleep and the alignment of his body and whatnot. And he goes to sleep and he dreams dreams of heaven. Did you hear what's happening to a young man from a dysfunctional family running for his life? He's dreaming dreams of heaven. As a church, we always must see people through the eyes of what God would see, not through the reality of where they are. Because right now, the person in the deepest sin may be filled with dreams of heaven. Are you seeing what I'm saying here? They may be in sin, but they have in their heart dreams of heaven. Pastor Nathan told us a testimony about a month ago of a friend of his who um, every time he would get drunk and really, really drunk, he would call uh, Pastor Nathan and he would be like uh, crying on the phone and I've messed my whole life up. And uh, Nathan would just listen. Listen to him, be long-suffering with him. Listen to him, be long-suffering with him. And this went on and on and on and on. Every time he's drunk, every time he's sad, every time he calls, I've made a mess of my life. Yes, he is in the moment living in sorrow and shame, but his head is filled with dreams of heaven. And about about, about a month ago, uh, he was at home alone, repenting alone, calling out to God alone. And God filled him with his spirit right there alone in his home and he called Pastor Nathan and he said I want you to know uh, I'm not drunk this time when I'm calling you Uh, God just filled me with the gift of the Holy Spirit we as a church cannot look at people through the eyes of where they are we have a different question Uh, is there some part of you that dreams of heaven is there some part of you that longs for heaven to touch earth is there some part of you that can perceive the ministering spirit of God And so he lies there and he dreams and then he awakes from his sleep and he says, my goodness, surely the Lord was in this place. I'm in Genesis chapter 28 if you're wondering where I am. Surely the Lord was in this place. I didn't even realize the Lord was in this place and I'm I'm overwhelmed with it. I'm I'm in awe of it. He says, how awesome is this place and uh, this is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven and he he perceives this should be called not uh, the name of its tradition, uh, not Luz, but Bethel, the house of God. And uh, he takes that stone he had laid on and he turns it up as a pillar. Um, And so it's no longer lost among the rubble of the ground, but now it's visible to anyone that he has, someone has turned it up in note. And so then uh, having turned that stone up, he takes oil and he anoints it. He pours oil upon it. And he says, this place shall be uh, known as the house of God. And he says this to uh, the Lord. He says, uh, if the Lord will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, give me bread to eat and clothing to put on. That's what he needs. He needs bread to eat and clothing to put on. I need God to be with me. So I'll what? I'll have bread to eat and uh, clothes to put on. Uh, Sustenance and protection. Sustenance and protection. That's what I need. But why would I need it? Well, this is what I want. Verse 21, so that I can come back to my father's house in peace. I need you to be with me so I can come 
back to my father's house in peace. I need you to feed me so I can come back to my father's house in peace. I need you to clothe me so I can come back to my father's house in peace. I thought my plan was a good plan, but I've learned something about my plans. It makes a great big mess, and I need you to be with me so I can come back in peace. And I'm running for my life, but I'm not satisfied with this. I, I want to come back in peace, and I need your presence so I can come back in peace. And I need sustenance so I can come back in peace, and I need provision and protection so I can come back in peace. I need you with me. I need food. I need protection, but what I want is to come back in peace. Jacob's running from a a deeply dysfunctional family, yes, but he has dreams of heaven in his head. Dreams of heaven in his head. What are, what's keeping us away from uh, the presence of God? What would keep us away from right relationship with God? What would hinder us? What would stop us from being at one with God? The church is the original project to bring runaways home. And this is the manifestation of the heart of God. So I want to tell you another runaway story. Um, It doesn't have as happy an ending as the story of Brooke I told you. Um, It's not really a story about the runaway. It's a story about the father. Uh, But it teaches you in the same manner. San Diego father uh, who did not want his name to be known because he did not want to uh, bring embarrassment on his family. Um, He had a son who became... uh, uh, immersed in drug culture and before too many years he was a pretty heavily dependent uh, heroin addict uh, on the streets and he had broken all his ties with family he had he had uh, stole off all his friends and he literally was at that last stop on the street and uh, he he left San Diego where he had grown up at and he went somewhere the family lost touch with him and the father uh, was just just haunted by the loss of his son and he decided he had to do something and he didn't know where to start but he knew wherever his son was um, he would be on a street somewhere living rough as a heroin addict and he he decided he would start calling all the homeless shelters. He started on the west coast with all the cities uh, in um, in California and he called homeless shelters and asked if anyone uh, had any he told them what he was doing and he would ask them has anyone by this name checked in overnight to stay in your shelter and he he he, he looked and he looked and uh, he finished the state of California and he started moving east state by state uh, going city by city anywhere he could find someone who could check a roster of a, a homeless shelter or had heard of his son and he finally located his son in Denver uh, there and uh, he worked with the homeless shelter and a local pastor to, to, to find his, uh, his son and, or at least he knew where he was and so he, he took time off work. He told his family he was going to find his son. He didn't know how long he would be gone and uh, he drove to Denver and he spent time on the streets of Denver and he found, he saw his son on a street corner in a distance and he, he, he leapt out of his vehicle and he ran, ran up to him and uh, his son was staggering around. He looked like he was drunk, but his father knew that he was heavily under uh, heroin uh, uh, high, and that's why he was staggering around. And uh, when his father saw him, he ran up to him, and he wanted to embrace him, but when his son saw him, he stopped, and he just had all the accusation and hate in his eyes that that kind of a bondage could produce in him, and he, he waved his father away. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything, want anything to do with you, and he turned, and he stumbled off, and his father didn't know what to do. He had n- no plan. There's no recipe for helping someone. They have to want to be helped. They have to choose. They have to decide. There's limited ability for us to help people. They have to want to be helped, but the moment they want to be helped, guess what? We're a part of the greatest 1-800 runaway program in the world. And, and his father watched him and didn't know what to do. And finally, he just followed him. He just followed him. And his son uh, staggered down an alley and uh, uh, kind of laid down and passed out, as it were. And his father just went and sat down beside him. And he decided, I, I don't know what to do. And his son woke up and didn't want to talk to him and just took off again. And he, he followed his son again. He quit trying to talk to his son. He quit trying to engage his son he just followed his son and when his son went to the homeless food truck his dad got in line behind him and when his dad when his son scored heroin his dad just stood in the distance and didn't try to say anything with him and when the son shot up and passed out his father stood over him and shooed the 
shooed the rats off of him. And for days, his father just followed him. His father soon looked like he did. He just wasn't high. He didn't shave. He didn't have showers. He slept on the street. He just took care of his son. Son wouldn't talk to him. And his family asked him uh, why he had done it and uh, why he was motivated to do that. And um, he said, the only thing I could think of was just to go there and, and be with him and love him and show him how much his family loves him. His son finally spoke to him. He said, Dad, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And his dad said, uh, uh, if you die, I, I die with you. He said, if you die, your mother dies with you. Our hearts may still be beating but we die with you. I don't know the end of the story because they didn't put it in the story. That means it probably wasn't a happy ending because this story's not about the prodigal son. This story's about the relentless father who will do anything he can do. Now you need to understand this about God. All of you who are members of this church, you need to understand this about God. Um, The manner in which our church uh, attempts to operate, the style of our services, everything we try to do, you need to understand about this about uh, God. God, not simply as righteous judge, but as merciful and relentless father. You need to understand this because this is what the religious people of Jesus' day struggled with. We all know the story of the prodigal son. We all know that story and we celebrate that story. I love that story. But uh, the prodigal son is not the only story told in Luke chapter number 15 of lost things. In fact, Luke chapter number 15, I told you we'd get back to the New Testament, is the story of lost things. But there's not just one story told here. There are three stories told in Luke chapter number 15. If you spent much time reading the Bible, you know these stories. The first is a story of a lost coin. The second is a story of a lost sheep. And the third is a story of a lost son. And they're told back to back, one after another. Why would Jesus do this? Why would you tell three stories? Because he had too much to say in one. And each one of them builds upon the next. And you have to see it or you won't understand the heart of God. That is the essential issue. Let's start at Luke 15 verse number 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. Now this is an astonishing statement to make. Because Jesus must have had that ability to be righteous but with the unrighteous. And the unrighteous never feel contempt from him. The righteous never feel like he was judging them. Now this drove the scribes, the Pharisees, religious people. It drove them nuts. Why? Because they thought of these people as members of the other team. Now, I want you to get this because a lot of my style in building and leading and teaching and preaching is going to drive you nuts if you don't get this, okay? They looked at the center and they saw a member of the opposing team. They thought righteousness was the product of an individual. And so when a person's life did not produce righteousness, they were the allies of hell. That is not how Jesus sees people. If you don't get that, you will miss the New Testament. You'll understand the Old Testament, but you will completely miss the New Testament. When Jesus sees a sinner, he does not see a member of the other team. He sees a a lost child of God, not a rebellious, angelic, fallen demon of heaven, but a lost child child you are worth fighting for that's how God sees you so the Pharisee believes my life reveals my righteousness their sin reveals their unrighteousness therefore I am good and they are what bad Jesus turns that upside down and says your righteousness did not produce righteousness you must be born again too Nicodemus Y'all gonna let me preach? You're gonna look at me. 
Nicodemus, you have to be, I know you're on the Sanhedrin council. I know you're so holy. Your feet don't touch the ground when you walk, Nicodemus. You won't even be seen with a sinner. And I'm one sinner removed. I'm like with the sinners and I'm not a sinner. And you don't want to be seen with me. You have, your efforts of righteousness did not produce righteousness just as their unrighteousness did not produce unrighteousness. There is only one who is good. They are either lost or found. You are not saved by earning it. You're saved because God covered you with his blood. This is hard for the scribes. This is hard for religious people. Now, let's be honest. This is hard for me. This is hard for you. We like to pretend like crazy people don't bother us, but I want to be on record here. Crazy people make me nervous. I try to act like I love them, but I'm honest with you. I'll start wearing bulletproof vests around them after a little while. I try to act like I want to, but I'm not God. I, all I can do is aim for that. I can have that as a goal. I can have it as a style. But honey, you act crazy. Pretty soon it'll just be me showing up. My kids are going to stay home because you're crazy. Somebody say word. Thank you very much. But God upsets the religious people, including me. Saying, your righteousness did not make you a son. And their unrighteousness did not make them an orphan, you all are orphans. There's no, that you all need to be born again. So watch this. He's going to tell them three stories. I want you to get this. Three stories and he's answering their critics. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him and the Pharisees and the scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so Jesus tells three stories. What is the first story? The first story is of the lost coin. A coin doesn't know if it's lost. The issue is this. Does the sinner have value in him or herself? Or are they valueless because they're sinners? That is the issue. The coin doesn't know if it's lost. The coin doesn't know if it's found. It's just a coin. It has no sense of its place. Do you see what I'm saying? The issue is does the coin have value? And so the first thing Jesus says to Pharisees and scribes everywhere is this. The coin has value because it bears the image of the one who struck it. Coins have value because of the monarch who minted it. And when you say a coin has value, yes, it may have some arrangement of precious uh, ratio metals within it, but it's the system that makes it have value. And so what does the coin do? It bears the image of the maker. You want to know if Jesus thinks sinners have value? What is the image you bear? Let me tell you, as believers, we can't judge people simply on where they are, what they're doing. They bear the image of God, and God says they're valuable because he struck them into being. Do you see what I'm saying? They bear the image of God. The first story is whether or not sinners have any value. The scribe and the Pharisee says, no. Why? They're on the other team. Jesus says, no, 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 no. They have value because they literally are made in the image image of God. Look at the coin. What image does it bear? It bears Caesar. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And honey, give those people to me, God says. Why? They bear my image. What's the second story? Does the sinner have value whether or not they even know they're right or wrong? Yes. God breathed into them the breath of life and they bear his image. What's the second thing? It's not about the center. It's about the heart of God. What shepherd having a hundred? Oh, you say you want to understand the heart of God? You need to read these stories. What shepherd of you having a hundred sheep lose one of them, does not put the 90 and 9 safe and go looking for that which was lost. What shepherd of you? Of course he does. It makes perfect sense. You want to understand the heart of God? See a shepherd who's not satisfied with a 99% success rate. I'm not content to say, well, I got most of them. 
I'm looking for the lost sheep. Here's the thing. Sheep get lost without intending to. They are led astray by uh, anything. They are without the ability. Ability to truly decide for themselves. You aren't a sheep. What is the lesson about? The first one is does the sinner have any value? The second one is do you know the heart of God? The third one, now that's about us. There once was a man who had two sons and one of them uh, asked for his inheritance early and it was as though he stood in rebellion to his father and just as us in the Garden of Eden, he wanted what was his, he wanted it now, he wanted to do his own thing, he didn't want to wait, he didn't want to have order within his, um, his choices and so uh, he takes the money, he goes and spends it on riotous living and uh, he falls upon hard times, loses everything, finds himself in a pig. And there he remembers that even the servants in his father's house had it better than he in this pigsty. And he thinks to himself, I probably cannot have a son relationship with him anymore. I probably can't have that familial love because I've shamed him. I've rejected him. But even the servants have it better than this. At least I could have a duty kind of relationship. At least I could show up and prove that my word is worth something now. I could show up and I could have this kind of obligatory relationship with him. And so he picks himself up. What he does not know is that his father every day since he left has been watching for that son to come home. Every day in the evening time he stands and lifts his eyes over the long trail that leads back to the family uh, homestead so to speak. And he watches for his son to come home. He every day is unsatisfied with simply the children there. He is looking for a lost son. But the son has to choose. You see, this one is about you. The first one was whether or not the sinner has value. The second one is to see the heart of the father or the good shepherd. The third one is to see the role of the lost prodigal son in the story. At some point in your life, you have to stop and you have to say, my father's not going to make me come home. I need to pick up the phone. I need to call... 1-800-RUNAWAY, and I need to see if there's a program that would help me find my way back home. I want to tell you, yes, there's a program to help you find your way back home. The church is the greatest 1-800-RUNAWAY program in the history of the world. And the reason why the church is still here is God's hoping you'll pick up the phone and ask the same question that Brooke asked as a teenage girl. Do you think you could help me get home? To which the answer of heaven is yes, we can help you. The answer of the church is yes. We can help you. And the answer of every believer is yes, we can help you. It is what we are here for. And that is why, and I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. That is why all heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Because all the kingdom of God is a program to help lost sons and daughters. Turn their heart back to him and say, I've tried it my way. Now I'm coming home. What's keeping you away from the right relationship with God? I, 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 I love to preach simple gospel. This is as simple gospel as you can get. What's stopping you from returning to a relationship with God? I would suggest nothing's stopping you. If you're here in this service right now, you can turn your heart toward Jesus and whisper his name. If you're watching this online, even if you're not in this moment watching it, but in a, you end up find yourself watching it later this week, I'm talking to you and I'm asking you this question. What's stopping you? <laughs> What's stopping you from coming home? I know the elder brother can be intimidating. You know that person who their life just worked out so stinking good it makes you sick. I know, I know, I know. The person who they haven't, they haven't cried a whole lot. They haven't spent many nights in hospital. <laughs> Everything they've touched has turned to stinking gold. And here you are. It seems like every day you get up, there's some, something waiting to point out all the disappointments you have. And you've let this build up within you. I just ask you this question. Was your life better with the Father in your life? 
or was it better when you rejected and walked away? I want to appeal to every one of you and say this. The church is a program to help you get back home. The Bible is a program (laughs) to help you get back home. And the ministering spirits of the Lord that Jacob saw in his restless sleep moving between heaven and earth is a program to help you get back home. And all of those angels are going to rejoice when wherever you are, you bow your knee and you say, forgive me of my sins. Lord, I've got to turn my heart back to you. I know there's a lot of things, a lot of embarrassment. I know there's stuff that you wish didn't happen. I mean, it's not not just you. That's pretty much all of us. I know there's decisions. And I know all of that is going to conspire. Uh, But don't just consider the elder brother. Consider the father looking for you right now, wherever you are, to turn your heart back to him. Because... Whatever you fled, Jacob fled a dysfunctional family. I don't know what you fled. A lot of people are hurt in dysfunctional families. A lot of people are hurt in dysfunctional religious families. Might as well speak truth. You're watching anyway. (laughs) A lot of people are hurt in dysfunctional churches. A lot of people have never understood grace. They understand Old Testament judgment, but they don't understand grace. Their parents didn't know how to give it to them. Why? It was never given to them. They were never given grace. So they didn't know how to give it. But even they can see that the servants have it better. All they have is a duty relationship. They don't have the, the kiss of family acknowledgement and the ring of family authority. That All that's going to be given to the prodigal. What's holding you back? I'm going to ask you today. Whatever else is going on in your life. Why don't you think about coming home? Why don't you think about coming home? Church, would you stand with me all over the house? You just focus your mind on God right now. We're going to pray for every prodigal we know. Right now in your family, your friends, you have stories of people who should be at home. (laughs) They should be home, but they're not home. You understand? They're not home. Uh, They're they're in sin. Uh, But... God says they still have value. They bear his image. God says they have value. And God's word's final. Not only that, God says it's in his heart to move heaven and earth to find them. He's focused the whole of his kingdom upon finding them. Now all you have to do is pray that they would have the decision in their heart to come back home. So right now, would you call the names that are close to your heart? that are on your lips right now, those names. Lord, I'm praying right now for the prodigals that we know. We all have been prodigals, uh, even if it was not in some visible manner of uh, public knowledge. We have all been prodigals, and we've all had to repent and come back. Lord Jesus, we're praying for our family members. Some of us have uh, uh, siblings that are not serving the Lord. We have parents. We have cousins, aunts, and uncles that are not serving the Lord. And they are, they are, they're, they're, they, they're struggling in the reality of their pain and their spiritual orphanhood. Uh, Lord, would you stir their heart right now? Would you stir their heart right now? Church, I want you to take a moment and stand in the gap for those people. You call their name. I feel such a beautiful presence of the Lord here right now. You, you can't preach the gospel without the presence of the Lord showing up. Would you just let that moving, that spiritual moving right now work in your heart and spirit. Wherever you're watching this, your living room, your bedroom, your kitchen, wherever you're watching this, uh, it, can become the, it can become Bethel to you. It can become the house of God to you. Right there, the ministering spirits of the Lord can ascend and descend. Come back home. Come back home. The Father will meet you. He won't make you come all the way home. He'll run to meet you. He'll meet you part of the way home. (laughs) He can't decide for you, but he'll run to meet you. He'll pick you up off of that place, that that ground of groveling. And you're stuck on your unworthiness. And he's like, oh, let's move on that. You're my son. You're my daughter. And he greets you with a kiss. He puts a family ring on your finger to show authority. 
And then he says, man, we're going to have a party. We're going to schedule a party. You know why you have a party? A party is a public way of saying this is what I live for. I worked all week for this party. <laughs> when you throw a party, it means this is what I live for right here. You know what God parties over? God parties over prodigal sons and daughters coming home. He's like, this is what I'm talking about. Somebody get a fatted calf. Somebody plan an event. All of heaven is like rejoicing. Why? Because the church got a big check? No, that's why the preachers rejoice. What's God rejoicing over? God's rejoicing over one sinner that said, I'm not staying in this place. I'm going back home. What is the angelic host rejoicing over? Well, someone got healed. That's what we rejoice over. Someone got a better job. That's what we rejoice over. What does heaven rejoice over? One sinner has repented and said, I'm sorry. It's time for me to go home. All of glory is about God bringing home the spiritual runaway. Would you carry someone in your prayer this week? Would you spiritually adopt someone? And I want you to make a commitment to be the opposite of the elder brother. What is the opposite of the elder brother? Elder brother is irritated at the decisions his younger brother has made. That's fair. The elder brother uh, disapproves of the decisions his younger brother has made. That's fair. Even the younger brother disapproves of the decisions the younger brother has made. That's not at the issue. Do you see? The issue is the elder brother feels as though he was a second class citizen because he was good and they didn't have a party. And the father's point to the elder son is all that I have is yours. If you wanted a party, why are you waiting on me to write a check? Why are you waiting on me to kill a fatted calf? It's your fatted calf. Oh, y'all aren't going to hate. Y'all aren't going to let me. If you're in a right relationship with God, the sinner is not your competition. The sinner is your mission. Fair? You see? The opposite of the elder brother is he can do everything the father's doing and he can do it whenever he wants and further he can offer acceptance to the younger brother he can value the person over the acts the person over the errors I'm, I'm, I'm preaching too long and I don't even care this is who we must be if we want to say we are reflecting the heart of God this house if God would so give us wisdom and understanding this will be the house where the elder brother is standing beside the father looking in the distance and the father says to the elder brother do you see your brother and the elder brother says not today I don't see him today. But like you, I believe he's coming home. And the next day comes. And the father stands and looks. And says to the elder brother, do you see your brother? And the elder brother says, not today. But like you, I believe he's coming home. And so if... This is pretentious, yes, but I'm a preacher and we do dramatic stuff. So I want to speak to all the younger brothers. I am the younger brother. So anyway, I want to speak to all the younger brothers. And I want to say, if the Lord will help us, we want to stand beside the Father. 
and we want to look for you and we want to say (laughs) to the father today may be the day they come back that might be the message that touched their heart that and they may come back and we want to stand there and when the father takes off running we want to be right there running beside him and when the father wraps his arms around our elder brother we want to wrap our arms around the younger brother and when the father says uh, let's have a party we want to say let's have a party and when the father puts a ring on his finger we want to put a ring on his finger we want to be the expression of who god made us to be Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your people. Help us to manifest your heart in this city, in this community. We are yours. And we only truly find our highest potential when we reflect you. So, Lord Jesus, let your heart shine through us. Let sinners be with us without feeling contempt from us. Let people whose life is a mess and embarrassing be able to spend time with us without feeling as though we secretly have classified them in a certain lower rating we are keeping a credit score on them i know that's natural and it's human lord jesus but if you would give us supernatural ability we'll try to limit it as much as possible we want to celebrate when the center repents let a revival happen right here at first church oh god let an outpouring of your spirit happen right here at first church freely we have received mercy now freely we give mercy we celebrate you and we exalt your name in jesus We love you. We miss you. I know I'm here today, but I, I, I don't feel like I'm with you if I haven't hugged you. I'm bad as my wife. Uh, so we're going to make it through this together. Uh, remember uh, the baskets. If you brought an offering with you today, you're able to do that. Help us with our database. Uh, if you have prayer requests, um, send them in. Sister, uh, uh, Pastor Lisa, I don't see where she's there. She's right here. She does such a great job of collating all of our requests and putting them before the church in a week on a weekly basis. She does a much better job than I ever did. And uh, I'm so thankful to have her. But use it as a resource in your life. Even if it's uh, for another person, the church can join together and, and pray. And uh, Prayer requests that come in on a regular basis. Let's be the church that extends the Father heart of God over our generation, over our city. In Jesus' name. One more time, put your hands together. Lift your voice and praise to God. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We may have a baptism here in a moment. We, if you need to be dismissed, you can. We're uh, having to work some scheduling with various people out, so we don't know yet on that. But God bless you. We love you. Have a great week. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.